Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. On August 9th, approximately 20 million Kenyans set out to the polls to elect their fifth president, along with a new parliament and county governors. As is often the case during democratic transitions, elections bring hope for better things and sometimes worries. Elections are also times when citizens ask questions about leadership, the future of the country, citizenship, representation of women, youth, persons with disabilities, ethnic divisions, and national cohesion, to name but a few issues that can cause anxiety. In the case of Kenya, post-electoral violence is also one of the issues that was on people's minds. Moreover, the new president will face challenges in confronting regional stability or instability, youth unemployment, food security or insecurity, and the economic consequences of both the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine. As a regional power, Kenya is important to international stakeholders, both in the region and worldwide. Joining me on Into Africa is Josephat Kamania, a Kenyan entrepreneur and political actor. A proponent of social justice, equity, and personal development, Josephat has been engaged in the political space for over 10 years. He ran for member of the county assembly in Kihara Ward in 2017, member of parliament in Kiamba in the 2021 by-election, and again as member of the county assembly in Kihara Ward in 2022. Welcome to Into Africa, Josphat. Thank you very much, member, and happy to be here for the conversation. Thank you very much. It was nice to meet you just a few days ago at the Karuri Tallinn Center in Kiamba constituency outside Nairobi when you came to check on the ballot and the material arriving at that Tallinn Center. How has the election gone for you? Well, Mvamba, yes, it was a good pleasure meeting you. And as you know, I was a candidate and now we are into the Tallinn face. A lot of the various positions have been concluded. I think we are waiting for the presidential and a bit of the governor positions. But for my case, I was vying for the member of county assembly. We were able to know the results by end of that day. And the official results were issued today, today by the returning officer. But uh, we were not the winner for the position. So I'm sorry to hear that you did run but did not win. This is, of course, one of the two options that every candidate has. When you enter a race, you either win or you lose. How did you take this outcome and running for office anywhere in the world, and particularly in Kenya, is both exciting and challenging? As you rightly say, in the political process, it's a contest. And you expect there to be a winner because there can only be one winner in spite of how many candidates are there. We were seven I've been in this political space for a while, so um, I know you can either win or not. 
me and my team, we put a great effort. Uh, we did all we could. But again, it's a case of numbers. The majority had their way. We had our say. Yes, we took it in stride and we have uh, accepted the outcome. So we already conceded defeat and we are ready to now hopefully have the leadership in place that will serve our people. So you are young still. You've been in the political space for over 10 years. Can you tell us why you got involved in politics at such a young age and what has driven you since you've been in that space? In my opinion, Vemba, to be honest, if you look around the society we live in, especially in, in Kenya and in Africa, a lot of the things we desire to see established in terms of structure, services, public policy can only be resolved by having proper leadership and good governance in our various countries, because Africa, we, we are one more or less. So my interest was sparked from a long time ago, even before I decided to vie for this leadership or political position. It is sparked and driven by the belief that we can do better, that we can have better structure, better services for our communities, by the belief that uh, better utilization of our resources can improve the lifestyle of us as Kenyans, as Africans, and grow the continent, the country, and the specific regions. So it's basically driven by the desire to see better manifestation of a growth and development of our people and our, and our countries at large. If you ask how it has been, yes. it's also been very tough because it requires time, resources, a lot of trying to network. So it's a very expensive affair, I would say. It is also not very well structured. So you hear of uh, issues of, uh, you know, godfathers, party affiliation. There are a lot of dynamics that make it difficult for young people, for us young people to venture into leadership because you're almost screened out if you don't have enough money. You're almost screened out if you're not coming from a big family. You're almost screened out if you're not being sponsored. So it's challenging, but, you know, we don't have the luxury of giving up. Very inspiring there. We would like to know what party you were affiliated with, at least under what umbrella you had run. And I think for our listeners, particularly people of your generation, young people in the 30s or in the 20s, you studied this in, in your 20s, now you're in your 30s. What is that path like? I know it's Kenya. Kenya is a unique country, but every country is unique. At the same time, all of us share similar experiences particularly when it comes to youth and getting involved in the political space. If you can describe for our audience your party affiliation, why you chose that, and then how that journey is shaping up for you. Uh, currently, I was under the umbrella of the Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance, and my political party is the UDA, United Democratic Alliance Party, uh, which is led by our presidential candidate, William Ruto. I feel... I am inclined, affiliated and established in that party because of what it stands for, the values and principles that I have picked. And one of our driving principles is the bottom-up economic model that we are hoping to implement upon our presidential candidate, uh, hopefully, assuming office. But that, that's the reason why I am with that party, because I believe we need a, a lot of vibrant intervention when it comes to socioeconomic stimulation for there to be effective development. Very radical, you know, man of speaking, you know, like sooner than later, because the lifestyle and the cost of living has gone very high. 
a lot of social services are not available to people. So we need something that will radically intervene on the social economic uh, status of our country. And I believe our UDA or the Kenya Kwanzaa Alliance to will be able to do that should should we uh, assume office. And it's not easy because again the issue of party politics coming to play. You have to popularize the party. You have to play your role in supporting the party even before you are a candidate. And again, that by itself has its own challenges. The fact that I've been in this space before, I've been in other political parties before, makes it easier for me to find my way and know how to network and and learn, you know, because it's a continuous learning process. So it's quite a journey there, but tell us a little bit about, so in your case, you say you believe in uh, bottom-up economics. In other words, creating opportunities for the population and supporting those who have drive. So can you tell us two things really we're interested in? One is that political, that, uh, that entrepreneurial environment that you work in. Is there an enabling environment that allows for young people, especially those entering business and entrepreneurship, to thrive if they have the ambition, but also the drive? And then B, we would like to know then how do you transition? You've not discussed that a lot. How do you go from there to be to entering the political space? You talk about party affiliation, godfathering, fees, and all the stuff, how that works. So those two worlds, our listeners will be very curious in knowing how this works. We've heard similar stories in Nigeria, in DRC and other places, but your personal experience is one that uh, is fascinating to us. Mm, yeah. You see, remember, our population as a country, as Kenya, has a greater workforce. And our human resource, which is our workforce, is highly underutilized. And the ones that are utilized, they are highly underpaid, much as we also have a very skilled labor force. So we have to find a way to marry and intermarry and merge and collaborate our skills, resources that are available and create opportunities. Definitely, there cannot be enough employment for everybody. Therefore, people do have to venture into businesses and that's why the entrepreneurship world is more inviting inviting to a lot of Kenyans because, you know, we are very resilient and very driven. It is going to try to avail a lot of seed capital a lot of industrialization, a lot of lowering the cost of production, especially in agribusiness. As I said, industrialization, because we have a lot of raw materials that go to waste that can be utilized to establish factories. And as those factories will create employment and job opportunities. And, you know, the whole chain of production and selling and, uh, and distribution will create employment. So that's strongly why I am leaning towards that. And the more you have people who are employed, the more you can widen the taxpayer's bracket. So that in turn can give more revenue collection to the government of the day. Yeah, you know, to your second question, the process has been quite exciting, I would say. Because on one hand, you know, you're running a personal business, you're trying to grow, you have a personal life. But on the other hand, you have public or social interest where you feel you could be a change maker, a change driver, a change agent. So trying to balance the two is not always easy. Sometimes it comes with some personal sacrifices. Sometimes, you know, you spend resources where you'd have done other things. But because the motivation and the drive and the objective and the goal is greater sometimes than what you want as a person. You know, we if you believe in a cause, you pay the price. That's what I would say. And 
we have to be part of the change. These are things we have to get involved in. They don't come easy. They don't come cheap. Not everybody will support you because not everybody has to believe in your aspiration and your vision. But if you believe in a course, you know, you stay the course to the very end. If this is a, in Kenya, we're saying we are going to experience what we call the economic revolution and not everybody will be, will be in it. Some will be bystanders. Some, some will be foot soldiers. Some will be front runners. You just pick your space and time. You have picked yours, obviously. When you first approach a political party as a young person, what happens? Tell us for the first time. You knock on the door, you come and register as a foot soldier, to use your term. How long do you have to stay in place before you are noticed or even considered for a position if you want to run? Well, that's interesting because you don't have to be involved in the party politics per se for you to be a party candidate. Uh, normally what we do here in Kenya is that, yes, of course, you, you affiliate, yes, you become a member of the political party. But then when it is, because our election cycle is every five years, unless there is a by-election caused maybe by death of a sitting elected official. But our normal election cycle is five years. So towards the end or the beginning of the campaign for the upcoming election, which was like last year for this case of 2022, you join a political party that you feel kind of fits your values. Then once you're a member, we call to, we go to what you call the party primaries or the nomination process of candidate. And our party primaries, mostly we have assumed universal suffrage. So everybody who is registered, like in my case within Kehara Ward, if I'm vying for the member of county assembly for Kehara Ward, members within that area will come during the party primaries nomination day and vote in the person of their choice. So it could be three or five aspirants who wants to carry the party ticket. So people will come, vote, and the one who will have a simple majority becomes the party candidate for that specific position. Of course, there are fees you have to pay to be a party member if you're going for the nomination or the party primaries process. There is the, every party has their unique uh, fees that you pay. Then there is a criteria that you must meet in terms of qualification, in terms of you know compliance with the law of the day, our constitution, and also the electoral code of conduct. You have to comply with that. Do you have to have a godfather to push your candidacy when you first run? I don't have a godfather myself, and I've been pushing my candidature now for quite a while. You don't have to. Those are fallacies that you're trying to downplay and prove to people that on merit, we are pushing for meritocracy. My involvement is specifically to prove to other people, young people, that you just, by your own virtue and skill, you can rise. You don't have to have a godfather. You don't have to be sponsored. Just find your way, make alliance, create a network, sit at the table, and give value. Okay. And how do you build the base? An election, of course, is about the people, for the people, by the people. So you need to have had some communal interaction with your potential constituents who will be voting for you. And how did you establish that in your case? Personally, I've been involved in sport community. So the political objective came up having exhibited, if I may say so, my potential for leadership to the people. So as a people, as a people, as a team, we decided, you know, we do all these social activities. Why can we not run for a political position? 
why can we not run for an elective position and hopefully gain access to public resources that we can use to do further activities and interventions in our community. So started off with just my interest of having social activities, football, uh, young people, arts, talents, supporting different activities here and there, just showing up. And when you show up, then people just start to identify you as a potential leader. I did not decide. The people decided, like, you know, my team, let's go for this. And what did you do in sports? You said you studied in sports. What did you do for that space? And how did that catapult you to where you are? I used to play football just locally. But I also started supporting football club and then established a football club, which is still active until now, although we just play in our mini local leagues. So, yeah. That's how it came about, especially matters of sports. Okay. And we had established this football movement where we were trying to use sports for social change. So we are trying to recruit young boys or teenagers who are struggling with some social vices. We were trying to recruit them into sports as a form of dispensing energy and so that we could come together and learn some life skills. And it worked. So it was not specifically just football, it was but a matter of uh, an intervention for social change. Social change is one that doesn't come easily and comes with a lot of friction and often great challenges. You said earlier when you started speaking that you have gone, you've been a member of various parties. Why is that? You see, remember, we have a very growing democracy, young and growing democracy in, uh, in my country, Kenya. And I think in most of our African countries. So every election cycle, parties come up. Like this, my current party, UDA, was not there two years ago. It's a political formation or political outfit for this election process. Hopefully it may last beyond this electoral or election process. But the cycle has been every five years, a political outfit, whether an alliance or a party will come up. Upon winning the election, by the time you're going to the next five years and beginning to prepare for the next election, either fallout or breakout happens within the party leadership, and then different parties are formed again. That has been a cycle. So we have found ourselves migrating. In 2013, I was a member of a different party. 27, that was the National Alliance. 2017, I was a member of the Jubilee Party. And right now, here I am, a member of the United Democratic Alliance. So. Well, that's, that's, that's the premise. That's how it works. So you get to confront your old colleagues from the other formations then? Yeah, in most cases, that's what happens. Because even right now, my party, the United Democratic Alliance Party, which is under the Kenya-Kwanza Alliance, then we've had the Azimio Alliance, which, which is whom our opponents are led by now the Raila Odinga, as a presidential candidate. And we are having to face our former allies as opponents right now, political opponent. And, you know, it's the nature of politics. Does that frustrate friendships or do you approach it with a lot of uh, fair play spirit? Yeah, that's a very fair question, remember, because, you know, emotions run high during campaigns, during elections and during voting and tallying. And having to work against or facing your friends towards actually a common goal because both of you want to win and lead, it is not easy. It calls for a lot of maturity, a lot of decorum. And yeah, it's true. You know, we have seen uh, friendships break. So we have to accept that. And we have seen other friendships and alliances survive or become stronger even. So it depends on one's position 
and understanding that this is just a process, it's a cycle. We are chasing the same thing. We don't have to burn bridges because after a few days, there can only be one winner, one nation, one country under God. It would be better if we all can find a way of agreeing to disagree and then move on swiftly once we have a winner. Now, issues that we encountered, you and I met, of course, during the election time. You know, elections, I said in the introduction to this discussion, provide moments of reflection for citizens. Issues of representation, whether it be representation of women, representation of the youth in the political space, people with disabilities, ethnic minorities, economic issues. How has that conversation unfolded in Kenya throughout this process, this electoral process this time around? One, I'm happy that it's peaceful because we've had instances, you know, if you have a brief history of our electoral processes, you know, 2002, 2007, even 2017, you know, the main presidential candidates had to form a form of alliance because it was sort of a, a stalemate, you know, in a speaking. And there was a, a lot of violence, a lot of displacement, a lot of property damage, a lot of lives were lost. But this time around 2022, we have tried, like I was even in a peace summit, where we were trying to sensitize the electorate and also take commitment as candidates that we are going to maintain peace before, during, and after the election. If you don't have peace, you know, you cannot even purport to say you want to, to grow an economy. You will not have any structures to work with if there is no peace. And Kenya has been largely a peaceful country comparatively, comparatively with other, like our neighbors. And we have seen what war can do to our African nations. We have chosen and tried to move with everybody to the direction of peace and accepting the outcome. But people have to decide whom they want to have as a uh, legislature, who is going to represent them, who is going to run the role of the oversight, because those are the three main responsibilities of our main elective positions, rather. It is not easy. There is friction, sometimes there is tension, I think I have seen a lot of growth and maturity in our democracy, unlike before, because uh, I voted, you know, I've been voting since 2002. I have seen a change, a significant change and shift towards people trying to lean more towards issue-based election and try to walk away from a bit of the personalization. There is no very clear distinction anyway, but there is a bit of that where people are not letting personal personalities run the campaign. They're trying to decide based on the issues. And that somehow pulls down the attention because candidates don't feel stigmatized, but rather if they feel people have made a different choice. Or rather, that's how, that's how I feel. I know I lost just two days ago. And I know it's not about stigmatization. It's not about being rejected. It's just about people making a different choice. And I have to respect that. We salute that spirit, the spirit that respects the electoral process. Do you have confidence in the electoral process? Yes, I do have confidence in our growing electoral process. If I were to rate them, I think they've done fairly well and significantly. They are proving themselves to want to serve the people and just be a facilitator of the process. Because we have various agencies. We have the security agency. We have what we call as the IBC. That is the Independent Electoral ABC for Independent Boundaries and Commission. This is the independent body that oversees this electoral process. I have confidence. I have seen they have improved the systems we are using. 
I have seen they have improved the serialization of documents that were used, making it difficult to, to forge. I have seen the collaboration between the various agencies, the observers, were granted full access to my opinion. The security agencies have come out very unbiased. They've just been there just to, to man the stations and merchandise. And the IBC itself has been trying its best to give live updates. But my, under, my underlying word is that I have faith in the growing electoral process because also the electorate have changed, but there's still room for improvement. When I was there, I saw that there were a lot of young people in the leaderships of polling stations and polling centers. They were presiding officers, they were deputy officers, they were clerks and so on. A lot of young people, a lot of women, and all went peacefully, at least as we experienced it a couple of days ago. What is your assessment of the work of representation? Representation is important. Kenya is a diverse country across the board, right? Ethnically, regionally, religion, and so on. Where do you see Kenya standing today when it comes to inclusivity and inclusion? No, like you say, Kenya, we have a very diverse population. Actually, what was sparking political violence before was based on some groups, if I may refer to them as such, because not necessarily tribes, but some groups within our communities in Kenya who are feeling marginalized, unrepresented or underrepresented or sometimes not represented at all. And they are feeling shortchanged. But also this came due to lack of civic education. People were not coming out to vote accordingly or they were voting not on issues. So they were voting based on other factors than the need of having understood that you are voting in a person who is going to represent you, who should be there to offer oversight and legislation on how your area, be it a ward or a county or the entire nation, will be governed for the period of time. Therefore, representation was not very fair. You know, also we did not have the gender rule, but now we have the one third gender rule where we are trying to also open up space, elective space as a country for female, because currently it is in our country, Kenya, it is a male dominated industry. So this representation have been moving. We also have now slots for marginalized communities, persons living with disability, all these things. And I have seen political parties wavering the fees in terms of registration as a candidate for women in terms of gender, trying to promote, and also for persons living with a disability and for the youth. The youth have always paid half the amount other candidates or aspirants are paying. So it is a growing process. We're just trying to have as many subgroups included. So the more inclusivity you have, the more diverse the aspirants are, the higher the chances of coming out with candidates who or leaders who will be chosen and they'll be able to address again the different issues coming from the different groups. So we have two questions to go in the interest of time. One, is an entrepreneur you're still pushing? As a politician, you lost the elections. I'm sorry to hear that, but we salute your courage. What is next for you? Well, business has to continue because we have other areas of life to work on. In terms of politics, what is next? First of all, we are waiting for this process to be concluded. I'll have you know that the outcome for the presidential results has not yet been pronounced by the IEBC. 
this i think it'll happen in the next day or two and once we have a new president sworn in and this process goes seamlessly and peacefully then of course there will be the establishment of different administrations in various elective positions i would like to see that process go on peacefully to the best of our ability as a nation and i'm willing to support that process to make sure that we have peace and proper transition because remember our sitting president has to go home constitutionally he has served his two terms so there has to be a change of guard we must have a new president secondly for myself is now support the new administration go back to business and we see what the future holds will you run again our time will tell my friend okay time will tell time always does time always does just what in this program here we mind the gap That means, you know, in every situation, there is the perception of the situation and there's the reality of the situation. Where is that gap for Kenya? And if you, have, uh, if you had a magic wand, how would you solve, bridge that gap? I think the gap is between the electorate and the voting. We are still not voting for purposes of leadership. That's why you hear issues of voter bribery, voter suppression voter manipulation we are not yet there people just need i would think the gap is civic education and people to, you know november i'll tell you i think we've had about 60 something not 70% of the turnout because we have 22 million registered voters but only about 14 million and a whole a whooping 30% or, or slightly over did not show up yet this is still their country so in terms of voting leadership and the whole political process People need to know that it is your civic duty. It is your humble constitutional responsibility to man up, show up, and vote. So sticking to the topic, I think that is where I see the gap is. People have not realized the essence of voting and how it really affects their lives. People have given up because of poor leadership, but bad leaders are voted in by people who don't vote. And again, if you remember, I think Karl Marx said, the human beings are not able to see beyond the immediate material needs. There needs to be a lot of empowerment for people to be able to see beyond what they need now and realize that some of these decisions we make now will affect our children and the future generation. On that note, Josfat Kamania, it's been an honor and pleasure to have you on Into Africa. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long. So long.